Well, we have a rough idea of the schedule for the Beavers and the Cougars in 2024. But what about television? You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and soon to be mostly team-free. But until then, beloved and loaded Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review. Please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more, not less, more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. So television is the subject du jour for the Beavs and the Cougs, at least on this particular program. Later, we'll be talking about some you know football, football stuff, but... I know this is on a lot of your minds right now, certainly on my mind right now, and I I think this is a really interesting thing to talk about and an important one to talk about for Oregon State and Washington State. We have an idea of what their schedule is going to be, right? It's going to be four power four teams, one matchup against each other, and then they'll play six Mountain West teams and one FCS, which is, as I talked about on yesterday's show, a respectable schedule, capable if you have a really good record of competing at a high level. But the television component cannot be ignored. So what are their options actually going to be there? Well, this question came in from Katie. YouTube comments and Twitter, always available, by the way. Katie asks, hey, Spencer, talking about Oregon State and Washington State media during the SEC championship, CBS announced that that was the end of their contract. That would be an awesome time slot and TV deal if OSU and Wazoo could be on CBS every Saturday at 1230 Pacific. Not going to argue with you there. I know you're not in charge of making that decision. Wouldn't it be great if I was? Wouldn't the world be a a better place in college football? Not elsewhere. I'm an idiot. But wouldn't it be a better world if I could make those sorts of decisions? Mm, Me and Josh Pate. Okay, anyway. So, uh, But it was a cool idea that I thought of when you were talking about all their options. Perhaps there are other deals like that to go along with the a la carte planning. So, just to briefly catch people up to speed if you've been behind on these particular conversations. Oregon State and Washington State do not presently have a media deal that will broadcast and produce the games that they have at home. When they're on the road, they will be playing teams who are in a conference with a media rights deal, and the home team is responsible for the broadcast. So whichever team is at home is, is responsible for putting the game on television in accordance with whatever media deal they have. Now, this is an interesting conversation because CBS does indeed have a, a slot available, shall we say, in the new media rights contracts. Because as everything got shifted around, the SEC got picked up, but not by CBS. Which, by the way, can, can we all mentally and maybe physically pour one out? For the SEC on CBS, I mean, that—that that is the SEC. That is Vern Lundquist, Brad Nessler, Gary Danielson, titans of the industry that I love so very much. I, I just cannot believe that that music is now going to be associated with other conferences. It's kind of wrong. But anyway, could it create an opportunity? In theory, yes, because 
as all these media deals were getting announced in the Big Ten and the SECs and the ACCs is locked in with ESPN almost exclusively, I think, but they've got the CW involved. I'll get to that in in just a moment because it could be applicable, kind of, but not really. I look at where CBS is and say, well, do you want to have a game there? Do you want to have a time slot there? And if I'm Oregon State and Washington State, I'm picking up the phone and I'm I'm making them tell me no. It's like when you're going out and you're going big game hunting in the coaching market. You might not be able to get this particular candidate, but you make him tell you no. And so what Oregon State and Washington State are attempting to do right now is market what is going to be, you know, probably six or seven home games each that some place would want to put on television. Now, for some matchups, that might be kind of challenging. For the matchup between the two of them, that could be kind of appealing. <laughs> I mean, Corvallis, we know, makes a fantastic television product. And the whole story of those two being left behind, I don't know if it's one that CBS would want to tell. Now, there is precedent for, and I talked about this on uh, an earlier episode of the show this week. You can go check it out. I talked about the precedent of you know, college football independents having television contracts. So Notre Dame is the best example, but Notre Dame is not comparable to Oregon State and Washington State. The Beavs and the Cougs are above the schools I'm about to mention, but the situation is far more comparable. And that's UConn and UMass, who went to CBS Sports Network, and Army used to do this as well, and essentially said, hey, we have a few home games here. How would you like to pay us you know, uh, uh, basically a couple hundred thousand dollars per game for the right to broadcast them because we believe you'll be able to get respectable viewership here. And CBS Sports Network said, yes, so maybe CBS would be interested. But I mean, that primetime slot, like that would be, that'd be the golden fleece of everyone's desire in this particular treasure hunt. I don't know why I went Greek there, but I did. That would be the ideal scenario is for somehow Oregon State and Washington State to just get a couple of games into that particular slot. There's been no indication that CBS is interested, but theoretically, they do have an opening. So if Oregon State and Washington State were to make a compelling enough pitch and CBS and, and the two sides were able to agree on a price range, I mean, why not? I guess this is the only reason I can say as to why it can happen, why it couldn't happen. CBS feels that they're in a good enough position and maybe they're comfortable putting some of their content out there. Now, football is king in American television in every conceivable fashion. So I don't know why they wouldn't want to be there when they have been historically and they might not have any of the, any other options at that point in time. So I think it's, I don't think it's likely but I don't think it's impossible either because here's what I think you have to know. You have to know first, what are the games? You, you, you've got to be able to call them and say, hey, we will offer you this package of games just between you and me or you know, the three of us, Oregon State, Washington State, CBS, and say, you'll just pay us and it's not going to be some huge cost for you and whatnot. But I think you have to know what games you are selling them, what matchups you are giving them. So Oregon State and Oregon, for instance. The Ducks originally were going to have a home game against Texas Tech, which would have been broadcast in accordance with the Big Ten media rights deal, right? It would have been on Fox or 
ESPN. Yeah. Is that the other one? I forgot at this point. It's been so long. But like, let's say Fox was going to put that game on. Would Fox say, okay, if you're not going to do it, but we were planning to, why don't we go to Oregon State and just have this one game? Maybe. Maybe. I don't think there's a ton of precedent for two schools being left behind like this and trying to navigate the age of mass media. In fact, I know that there isn't because the last time you had all this realignment craziness at this level was in the 20th century. And the media landscape looked a heck of a lot different than it does right now. So I I feel like that's something that for Oregon State and Washington State, you pick up the phone and say, hey, are you interested here? But first, you have to set your schedule because that's going to determine the interest level and the price range that you could potentially get from a network or any potential partner. And CBS would not theoretically be the only option, which is where my thought from earlier is going to come back into play about the CW. An earlier thought I've had on many shows is that FanDuel is something you should be aware of. You know why? Because as the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So whichever Pac-12 team you happen to root for, if you feel supremely confident in their ability to win their bowl game this year, you go bet $5 on the money line if you're a new customer, and you get $150 if your team wins. That easy. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. It's got a great interface, and there's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season and get your college football gambling fix as well. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So the thought I had on the CW was that the CW came in to be involved with the ACC this year and through the next several seasons, they're going to have a select number of games that they're going to broadcast on their networks, both football and men's basketball. I don't remember if women's basketball was a part of it as well, but the actual number only amounted to a couple of football games and a small handful of uh, basketball games literally every year. I think the number is like less than 10 per year over the next several seasons. So if you're Oregon State, Washington State, you know, their athletic director up at Wazoo, Pat Chun, I'm pretty sure it was Pat Chun, said that they're going to be exploring options through the conference. Didn't go great last time, but hey, third time's a charm. Through the conference to try and find media partners for next year. Like I said earlier, I think you have to know the schedule in order to you know, set a price range and just gauge everyone's interest level to begin with. But certainly Oregon State and Washington State have big enough brands and big enough TV numbers, by the way. At least that's what's been shown over the last several years to be able to command at least some network that would be interested. Like if you took Oregon State and Washington State, certainly the matchup between those two teams, that is going to garner a bigger number than a bunch of games that will be broadcast on CBS Sports Network or FS1, for instance, in the Mountain West. So I think that there, you know, could be some interest there from a third party. You know, a lot of the ones we talked about all summer long as potential Pac-12 media partners. I think, you know, a, a really difficult question is both teams are going to have an FCS buy game, right? Which historically would have been on the Pac-12 network. What are you going to do? Like the, like the Pac-12 network, I believe, is just going to 
go away and everyone's going to be looking for jobs because they're not going to have enough content to put out. Now they do for, you know, this year, right here, right now, but next year, just two teams, only a handful of games like that. The, the, the math does not add up there. So I think you'd have to look for someone and I'm not suggesting the CW. I, I'm just suggesting that that is a, a semi comparable situation in which you see a television network coming in for a very small package, a very small number of games, you'd have to find someone who'd be interested. And look, maybe that would be CBS. Maybe they could put it on CBS Sports Network. But last point I want to make on this, and this is a fantastic question, by the way, Katie, because this is a really complicated situation. The last point that I want to make on this is this is a big deal for Oregon State and Washington State. Because what did I talk about yesterday? That – their schedules that consist of four power four teams, each other, six Mountain West, and one FCS. If you go throughout that season and you're 10 and 2, 11 and 1, you will be in the discussion for one of the seven at large spots in the college football playoff. I'm not guaranteeing they'd get there, but in the discussion, 100%. I, I, I can absolutely see that depending upon who you've beaten and everything like that. But one thing that matters in that particular discussion is if you want to get to that level, people have to be able to watch your games. Branding, perception, all that stuff matters. You got to be able to pass the eye test. You got to be able to get your name out there and get people talking about you. So this is going to be a big component for Oregon State and Washington State as they try to make the best of a horrific situation for 2024 and beyond. And it is not an easy thing to navigate for sure. But I think that's where things kind of sit on the media front right now. There is an opening for CBS. And gosh almighty, if Oregon State, if if at the very least, the quote-unquote regular season Pac-2 championship game, whatever you'd want to call it, would be in the CBS primetime slot, that that, that would be a great outcome. But you got to get on TV every chance you get. But games like, you know, against a lower-level Mountain West, if you're at home or – an FCS team, people might be tuned into the radio feeds. I don't know. I I, I, I really don't know where they're looking there, but I, I think that's going to be fascinating to follow going forward. So uh, it's a tough situation to be in, and that is continuing to materialize for Oregon State. So Jack Velling, the tight end, is in the transfer portal. So too, along with Jermon McCoy, who got offered by Oregon, which has got his thing a little bit for the Beavs, Linebacker Easton Masarenas Arnold and his stepbrother Achille Arnold, a safety, are both in the transfer portal. One's a linebacker, one's a safety. One of them had over 100 tackles this year. This is just the reality. I, I think Oregon State fans, from in large part from what I've been able to discern, were kind of prepared for this sort of stuff. For players to leave, you know, the Aiden Childs and DJUs of the world. Aiden Childs had a crystal ball to Michigan State. And, you know, losing guys of that caliber, it's going to make it pretty tough. It is no doubt going to be difficult, which is why the sooner that the two schools can finalize their schedules, give a clear message to recruits and current players as to what they are going to be doing, and who they're going to be playing and what sort of level they'll be playing at, I think the better. And, you know, when Jack, when when, um, when Trent Bray got hired for Oregon State, I said his number one priority was talent retention. And this is why. And so far, you know, Damian Martinez has stuck around, but 
you, you've lost a couple of key defensive players, a really good tight end, and both your quarterbacks. That's a pretty big blow to the stomach at this point in time. I think it can get better once this stuff becomes more clear because I think kids are just trying to capitalize while the portal's hot and while roster slots are available. And having uncertainty right now at this very moment, I, I think is doing a disservice to Oregon State and Washington State. I mean, they were going to get hurt regardless, but you'd have to imagine that that is certainly playing a factor. Now, as for players that could one day be coming into the program in Corvallis or in Pullman, I think this is a name to watch for both of these schools. So neither one right now, if I asked you as a Beaver or a Coug, who's your starting quarterback in 2024? you wouldn't be able to say a name with any particular confidence, which is why I continue to bring up names that I see pop up on the transfer portal radar here on the show. And I've got a really fascinating one here today. Braden Shager, the quarterback from Hawaii. In 2023, in a run-and-shoot pass-heavy offense, they went or he threw for over 3,500 yards. He did have 14 interceptions, playing in all 13 games this year for Hawaii. He threw 26 touchdowns. He led the Rainbow Warriors to a 5-8 and eight record, including 3-4 of four down the stretch. Mountain West was pretty solid this year. And for a Hawaii team that won three games the year prior, they're kind of in the midst of a rebuild. And he helped them go 5-8, and eight, and they played some really good football over the last month of the season in that conference. Now, was Hawaii great? Was he the greatest quarterback I've ever seen? No, I'm not saying that. But if he is looking to go elsewhere, Hawaii is a program that you know has had flashes. They got to the Mountain West Championship game and lost in 2019. They've never you know surpassed their peak of the Colt Brennan years back in 2006. The late Colt Brennan, RIP. I remember those Hawaii teams, but that is not a supremely high level or high end Mountain West football program historically speaking. So that is a guy who I think had a good season and is looking to find a better, more successful home. And though Oregon State and Washington State, in the context of the Pac-12 or Big 12 or Big 10 or whatever, are a step below from a caliber standpoint, they are certainly above where Hawaii is. And I think that Shager would get a look at either from, from either of those particular schools. And there's been some familiarity and crossover, of course, between uh, Oregon State and Washington State and schools from the Mountain West, whether that's players coming in, players going out. Of course, Nick Rolovich, once upon a time, was hired from Hawaii to Pullman. I, I, there, of course, he's not there. But I, I just look at that name and say, you could do a lot worse. He's he's been He's a little reckless with the football sometimes, but they threw the ball a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot. He's got a bunch of passing attempts. You go look at his game log, and he's got games with over 50 pass attempts and 40. And, you know, they wanted to throw the football a ton. And, you know, it's kind of a blow for the Rainbow Warriors because I think is, you know, you go from three wins to five wins. You're thinking, okay, next year, you know, we can pop, get over 500, maybe beat some good teams. Braden Shager was at the center of what they were doing and all the success that they were having offensively was running through him. And I think that is a name that is not going to garner, you know, attention at the, you know, high, high end, like the Cam Wards or the DJUs or the, uh, you know, Dylan Gabriel's looking at Oregon and everything like that. He's also looking at USC. I don't suspect that he's going to get that sort of attention. I think Oregon State and Washington State, 
if he wants to stay out west, could be a fit. Either spot, I could see it, especially Washington State, because of the similarities of the offensive system. They throw the ball a lot at Washington State. They threw it a lot at Hawaii. He's a guy who can certainly sling it a little bit. I would watch for Braden Shager, Hawaii quarterback, as a potential option for, for both of those guys. There were potential options for Coach of the Year across the board that were – well, really, I'm just kidding. There were there were two options for Coach of the Year. It ended up being Kalen DeBoer. I don't think Arizona fans were particularly happy about that. I understand why. What I don't understand is why you haven't checked out Prize Picks yet because that is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. That's it. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and you watch the winnings roll in. Want to play alongside some of Prize Picks favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can. Go find the community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. Prize picks even offers a reboot policy. So your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. And prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Go to prizepicks.com slash college. Use code LockedOnCollege for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash college. Use code LockedOnCollege for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Okay, let's wrap up with a couple things. First of all, Liatu Latu at UCLA was given the Vince Lombardi Award, which is given to the best interior lineman in college football this year. That is so well-deserved because that guy is so good. (laughs) I mean, when I think of the last 12 years in this conference and the most dominant defensive lineman, Laitu Latu is up there. I'd probably have him. This is off the top of my head, so I apologize if I missed somebody. But if I had to go four defensive linemen, from the Pac-12 era and the 13 years or the 13 championship games it gave us. I, I'd, I'd go lie to law to. I'd go Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, Leonard Williams from USC, probably Vita Vea from Washington. I, 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 I'm all in on law to that. That guy is just one of the most singularly impactful football players defensively you will ever see. And, you know, it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to play in some big, big games, you know, beyond a couple of big time regular season showdowns because UCLA's team just like wasn't quite there uh, over the last couple of years because that guy's really, really good. So props to Lai Tulatu, very, very well deserved. So here's something I want to talk about. So Kalen DeBoer is the Pac-12 coach of the year and Jed Fish is not even a co-coach of the year. I think there are some Arizona fans a little peeved by that, given the coaching job that Jed Fish has done. However, I'm going to defend Kalen DeBoer being the only Pac-12 coach of the year. I'm a huge Jed Fish fan. I'd argue that I saw Arizona coming a lot more than than other people did this year. In my preseason record predictions, where I went game by game for every team, I said they would beat both Oregon State and Utah in Tucson. I took a little flack for those particular calls. How'd that turn out? We won't go back to my game pick for 
uh, Utah and Arizona. But anyway, Jed Fish did an outstanding, outstanding job this year. The reason I don't think he was named a co-coach of the year, as Jonathan Smith was a year ago, along with Kalen DeBoer, is that it's coach of the year, not coach of the two years. So when people think of Jed Fish, they think about how he took over a program in complete and utter disarray. And in year one, he went one and 11. And in year two, went five and seven. And right now is nine and three, going to play Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl with a chance to win his seventh consecutive football game. This guy is a good football coach. And he's got the Pac-12 freshman of the year, Noah Fafita. And that didn't surprise a single solitary person. I don't think there was even a debate. I don't know who else you would have voted for in that particular discussion. So I think the reason DeBoer got it is because it's coach of the year, not best overall coaching job. Jed Fish going from one and 11 to nine and three in two years is ridiculously impressive. And Arizona's win total this year was four and a half. I offered that out and said, that's one of my favorite over under picks of the season. And I said, eh, it's kind of free money. Yeah, it turns out it would have been because it would have been an easy over. You would have hit very early in the season. But Arizona is a team that went from five wins to nine wins. That is a great improvement, a fantastic improvement for Jed Fish and the Wildcats. I can't wait to watch them in the Alamo Bowl against Oklahoma. If you were talking, however, about the best singular coaching job, the answer is Kalen DeBoer at Washington because though Fish has done a marvelous job turning it around, it's coach of the year, not coach of the last two years. If it was coach of the last or three years, I guess, DeBoer would again have a very, very strong case. However, you'd go with Jed Fish because Arizona is not as glamorous of a program as Washington is, and he has them playing at a very, very high level. DeBoer just accomplished something that nobody has ever done in the history of this conference, which is now done for football games, which is still a crazy concept and a crazy thing to say out loud. But he did something that nobody had seen before. Think about all the teams, all the years, all the attempts. Nobody had ever done what Washington did this season, and that is go undefeated in conference play. They went undefeated in the regular season, made the college football playoff, beat Oregon twice. He should be the coach of the year. And I, if, if you make the argument, oh, Jed Fish should be a co-coach of the year, I get it. I just don't agree with it. I think Fish is just a really, really close second there because though he did a fantastic job surpassing even my expectations for Arizona this season, which were higher than most, Washington did something that the conference had not seen and will never see since it is essentially now defunct. So that uh, that's where I stand on that particular matter. And I think that they got it right, just giving it to Kalen DeBoer there. So speaking of Washington, how about this? Big Rig U asking a college hoops question. I love college basketball. I watch more of it than most of you probably do. So I'm here for this question. He asks, college basketball is now in full swing. <laughs> I know. And I know you are a big college basketball fan. Fact check true. Guilty as charged. So after beating UCLA and USC so far this year, Gonzaga now has a 16-game win streak over Pac-12 teams with a game at the University of Washington on Saturday. 
What sort of chance do you give Washington to pull the upset at home against number seven Gonzaga? Also, if Gonzaga beats Washington and extends their pack Pac-12 win streak to 17, will there be any future Pac-12 teams for Gonzaga to play, or will Gonzaga's Pac-12 win streak be permanently stuck at 17? Well, here's the thing about uh, about college basketball. Geographical matchups are so beneficial because there isn't as much money for basketball, even like compared to football, it's, just, it's, it's not even particularly close. But I don't think that Pac-12 teams will stop playing Gonzaga because everyone knows how good they've been, <laughs> right? By the way, Arizona is the number one team in the country right now, for those of you who, who did not know. But no one's going to stop scheduling Gonzaga because of something they did this year. A, a team would choose to not schedule Gonzaga because they know what Gonzaga has always been. So that, that, that'd be the reason. As for the matchup on, on Saturday... Washington is, is is five and three on the year, and I actually think they're a pretty good team. Their their schedule's got a couple of solid performances and wins. So San Diego State they lost by three, they did lose by seven to Nevada. They lost to Colorado State, who's good. Those are all quality losses. It's a term that you know triggers some people in the college football world. But they've got a win over Xavier. They've got a win over UC San Diego. And most recently, a win over Montana State. Those are all, you know, solid to above average mid-major teams. I'll be honest, I haven't watched Washington this year. But here's what I will say. Mike Hopkins is coaching under a tremendous amount of pressure for this season. If he does not make the NCAA tournament, he will be relieved of his duties. And this game against Gonzaga, which is at home, at the Alaska Airlines Center in Seattle. That is a huge opportunity. I'd expect his team to be ready. I, I, I'd expect his team to come out and play with a fire of and an urgency of, we got to have this one because he might need to have this one, both for the sake of his potential tournament resume and for the sake of you know saving face within the athletic department there. I, I mean, it's a big game. It's uh, 8 o'clock Pacific time on ESPN2, so nationally televised as well. That's a big, big opportunity for Washington. I think that this Gonzaga team is good. I don't think it's the best Mark Few has ever had, and I've watched them closely. You know, I, I'm a Santa Clara graduate, so I called their games while I was in college and watched them play a lot. Th th this is another good Gonzaga team, but I think it's one that figures it out by the end of the season rather than having a bunch of high-end talent right here, right now. So I think the Zags are, you know, a good team, but I don't think they're unbeatable by any stretch of the imagination. And I bet you that Husky student section shows up. I, I've, I've been there for a game or two when, when that student section's there, and they can be fantastic, and they are right on top of you in that arena. So I, I'd give Washington a chance to, at the very least, hang around I, I won't be shocked if they win that game, given the urgency of it. But you're going up against Mark Few. That's that's always a challenge. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.